Hi there, welcome to the uh, Travel Companion podcast. Uh, special guest today is Dane Gobbin. Dane uh, is in Guyana, Our conversation is via Skype, and Dane is CEO of the Iwo Krama International Center. Um, as you know, Guyana has one of the few remaining pristine rainforests uh, left in the world. And um, what we're dealing with here is a super smart guy with extraordinary plans to make the rainforest financially self-sufficient. It was an honor to have him as guest on the podcast. Uh, you can find links on his projects at iwokramer.org and iwokramerriverlodge.com. If you would like to support the podcast itself, go to our website, that's podcasts.earth. And without further ado, here is the podcast with Dane in Guyana. Starting the podcast, we're here today with Dane, Dane Gobin, who is the Chief Executive Officer um, of the Iwokramer International Center. Dane, welcome. Thank you very much, Peter. Okay, what is the weather like there in Guyana? Nice. Um, you know, as you know, we have uh, general elections on Monday. Monday. Um, Exciting. Yes. So uh -huh. uh, it's the first time that we have elections since uh, oil has come out of the ground. So uh -huh. it um, it uh, it looks to be quite interesting. <laughs> Brilliant. Well, it has been snowing here in London, so um, I, you know, I wish I was there. That's all I can say. You're a nice 33 degrees here now. <laughs> wow, that's that is amazing. That sounds really, really good. But maybe maybe sometimes it's too much or? Oh, it, yes, yes. Especially if you get into the rainforest, the, um, the heat is not a problem, but the humidity is a killer. The ah. humidity really gets to you, especially in the rainforest where, you know, lots of the wind and breeze doesn't pass through. Yeah. Um, but uh, other than that, we are a good 34, 35 degrees all year round. Wow. I, I personally, I think it's amazing. But, um, you know, once you're there, maybe you feel totally different about that. So just this quick introduction uh, from the center, the Iwokrama International Center in Guyana. I understand that it was established in 1996 uh, under a joint mandate uh, from the government of Guyana and the Commonwealth Secretariat uh, to manage the forest which is a unique reserve uh, of uh, 371,000 hectares of rainforest. And this will be done in a manner that will lead to lasting ecological, economical and social benefits. And not only for the people of Guyana, but also for the world in general. This comes straight from your website. I'm sure that is still yes. correct. <laughs> but just a point of note that, yeah. in fact, the, um, the, the business of Iwakrama started in 1989. 1989. Uh -huh. yep. Yes, Commonwealth Heads of Government meeting in Kuala Lumpur in uh, in Malaysia, uh -huh. um, when then President Hoyt offered the Wakrama Forest to the international community for work in climate change and sustainable development. Yes, we are 30 years old uh, last year. Oh, congratulations! That that's like a, a milestone as well. Yes, a big milestone. Built milestone. And uh, how long have you been there yourself? If I may ask, how many years? Oh, too long. 2002, I joined Iwakrama as a um, business development manager um, because, you know, Iwakrama was about doing the, uh, the, the, the bio-inventories to see really how, how you could value rainforests and really empirical evidence. Yep. And then once we got that inventory, the next step was to actually then try to uh, monetize that. Mm -hmm. uh, so we looked at sustainable forestry. So I joined the center as business development manager, tourism uh, ecosystem services, and then uh, made my way through program support into finance, and then finally CEO in 2002. 
and and um, I, I understand, as you mentioned already, uh, the mission of of the center is to promote conservation and the sustainable and uh, equitable use of tropical rainforest in a manner that will lead to lasting ecological, economical, and social benefits. And this will be done by research, training, and development. And what what is driving you, if I may ask, as CEO? Right. So um, I come from a business family um, since the um, the early sixties. Mm -hmm. um, my dad's in business, so I always um, I always wanted every few years to get out there and try something new. Yeah. Um, at least for your studies or your work experience. So you will come up with an interesting opportunity where you could actually um, try to uh, to tailor make or to uh, show. Mm -hmm. that you can actually um, uh, put straight and strict economic uh, principles into managing a rainforest. Mm -hmm. So I'm probably the first CEO that uh, has no uh, background in science. Uh, I'm an MBA. Mm -hmm. um, but I bring the, the business vision to rainforest because, as you know, Peter, uh, unless there's financial sustainability, nothing else could be sustainable. The forest wouldn't be sustainable. The ecosystems wouldn't be success sustainable. So... First and foremost is economic viability, and that's that's what drew me to Okrama. How can I use a straight business model, yeah. uh, which presumably profit is the motive, and then look at other bottom lines? So yes, you look at the financial bottom line, but you then then you look at um, ecological uh, preservation as another bottom line, and yeah. social and social balance as well. So um, I ended up trying Okrama in two thousand and two, yeah. and here we are today. So uh, I understand that the research is really coming down to uh, testing a truly sustainable forest. Um, uh, you, you mentioned yourself already, it has to be profitable, which, which I think is very important because obviously it has been working for you so far and that, that, that model can be used all over the world in other rainforests as well and preserve the rainforest. Do I see that uh, in the right way? or? Yes, it is. So really, I mean, you just read out the mission of Iwakrama direct from the end, but it really and very simply put, our mm -hmm. work involves um, uh, in two broad areas. One is to show that you could use the forest without losing it yeah. first. And second is to show that forests are worth more alive than dead. And to do that now, Peter, they're, they're unfortunately, um, you know, the world is caught up in this rhetoric, and I keep saying that um, I love this word, um, commitment and pledge. Those are beautiful words. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the international community meets every so often at these very large meetings that generate more carbon than they're worth. <laughs> and uh, and they pledge hundreds of millions of dollars. Yeah. And they meet every five years, and they pledge more hundreds of millions of dollars. And in the meantime, we are now a little part of the world. Yeah. trying to save a million acres and struggling to do so. So, mm -hmm. you know, while the international community has actually recognized the value of rainforests, mm -hmm. um, they don't appreciate it, if you know what I mean, for want of a better word. So our our work here is to, through empirical evidence. So, you know, we don't want to hear about uh, the rainforest uh, generates these ecosystem services. So there's carbon, there's hydrology, there's nutrient cycling, there's pollination, yeah. um, tourism as a value. But unless we as rainforest managers and owners for that matter, Guyana now on a larger scale, unless we could show that these forests have value, mm -hmm. then there would be no need 
to save a forest. And, 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 and too many times I've gone to international meetings mm-hmm. and you meet the top conservationists in the world, the, the scientists with double doctorates and all of these people, but the people who are not in the room mm-hmm. are the guys with the checkbooks. Right. Unless you could get, unless you could get the guy on Wall Street to say, I value a piece of rainforest. Everything else will be will be talk. And just to give you a quick example, yeah, you if you wanted a loan and you went into the bank, yeah, and you presented your uh, your title or your deed or your transport or whatever it is, mm-hmm. um, a bank they would lend you money and use that as collateral. Yeah, we speak about the value. Uh, we speak about the rainforest as being a global air conditioning. Yeah. really sustains human life. It provides all of these wonderful services, pollination, for agriculture, hydrology, the air we breathe, the recycling, carbon taking, all of these things. Yeah. But you think you could go in, and that's a big challenge, you think I could go into a bank on Wall Street and say, hey, I have a million acres of rainforest, yeah. and it, it has all of these very nice values, um, sustaining humankind. Can I have a loan? They say no to you? They will say no, and uh-huh. that's because they don't recognize the value, and they don't recognize the value because there's no empirical evidence to suggest that this forest is worth $100 million a hectare or $200 million. So what we are trying to do is, the first thing to do is to really establish value. Uh-huh. So why is this piece of rainforest value? And the way to do it is to explore all the values in rainforest. So there are medicinal plants, there's tourism, there's mining, there's sustainable forestry, uh, there's nutrient cycling, there's pollination. So bees from the rainforest perhaps um, pollinate uh, soy farms in um, in Brazil. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. But these are the kinds of things that we need to do. So, because, you know, we talk so much about it and, and nobody puts figures to these things. We, the only probably best studied ecosystem service value is carbon. Yeah. Still, those markets are not um, are well regulated, um, and they're up and down. I mean, carbon on average, I think, is about seven to ten dollars a ton. Yeah. Uh, and at the end of the day, it really comes down to ability to pay. Uh, so, you know, one of the things we are doing here uh, is, and the main thing is to show that these values. Now, if I could show somebody that if you preserve this forest, it's actually better and you accrue more value from it than digging out the gold from it. Yeah. There's an option, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You know, and if, if I went to them and I said, look, if you pull out pull out a few stems of, from this forest and you convert it into high-value furniture, mm-hmm. um, then you don't need to clear fill this whole hectare. Mm-hmm. You could just pull out a few mature stems that would fall anyway and that, and that would emit carbon anyway. Yep. And you could actually turn it into high-value uh, products that would sell for thousands of dollars um, a cubic meter. Mm-hmm. So that, those are the kinds, uh, because, uh, you know, this whole movement of conservation is not sustainable and protection. Why do you say that? Because it costs money. The thing is, you, you, well, first of all, you have to be rich to protect, Yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Why, would, why would someone, and if you look at the models of protection, the model's protection, the, the financial model for protection is we go and go collect cash from somebody yeah. and we pay to protect the forest. Mm-hmm. My mm-hmm. model of protection is here. Let's show the forest has value mm-hmm. and then use it as an investment 
right. so that people could invest in the forest. So I'm moving or I'm trying hard to move Iwakurama away from a, a cap in a hand to a donor, yeah. a viable business targeting an investor. That's brilliant. And you're doing it in a sustainable way, sustainable harvesting, I believe, correct? Or? Exactly. Sustainable mm-hmm. forest. Uh, we were the first in, in Ghana to get the FSE certificate. Mm-hmm. Um, we, our work goes as far as Denmark and Sweden now. Mm-hmm. Um, next steps we're looking at is branding. So I want the Iwakram logo and a little story behind the wood. So when you walk into the floor, mm-hmm. a floor of, 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 a, um, of, a, of anywhere, you know, and the guy could talk about the wood. The guy could say, look, this is wood from the Iwakram forest. It's FSE certified, meaning it follows environmental, social, and economic best practices. Local communities are involved. A lot of capacity was built in them. We only did three stems per hectare. Communities got livelihoods from this, and the forest is still there. So that's the kind of story I'm actually developing and then introducing a line of merchandise again. And how long will it take before you are there? Because because from what I understand at the moment, um, it is sustainable tourism, sustainable harvesting, uh, training, merchandise, but about one over one third still comes from uh, from grants, from what I understand. So you want to change that part? Is that correct, or that's very correct? Um, okay. So you know, Peter, I also don't formally believe that um, that rainforest managers, unless you get into very higher end uh, rainforest, would ever be truly sustainable or financially sustainable, mm-hmm. um, because. Because you know, at some point in time, you will have to you will have to try to quantify an intangible, you yeah. know. And we could do all the empirical work about showing that the rainforest is a, a global air conditioner that recycles air so that humans could breathe. Yeah, I think that's established anyway. It is. Huh? Yeah. Somebody has to say, well, look, we just want to take care of the forest just because we think the forest is valuable, and forget the empirical evidence. Mm-hmm. But if we had, um, if we had say seventy percent of our budget coming from uh, value-added activities, so I'm hoping within the next three years, one of the things that I want to launch, um, and I'm going to let out the cut out to the bag now, yeah, um, is I want to launch a special sponsor uh, an acre program at Iwakrama to really have. Guyanese and the international community get involved for a very measly sum. So I'm thinking of between 15 to 25 dollars a year, mm-hmm. you can actually get your own piece of rainforest. We will GPS map it, we will generate a report, we will tell you what's in the, what's in your hectare, mm-hmm. um, what you do, and the contributions it has made towards uh, absorbing carbon, all of that stuff. And if I get that, I mean, from initial figures, that could almost give me three times as much as I need in, in core operating costs. Mm-hmm. And that I to launch this year. That is brilliant. That's a very good idea. As a matter of fact, they're doing that with a lot of um, uh, and a lot of other organizations as well, like, for example, in, in Zeus. And I think I spoke about that in another podcast in South Africa. They have all the animals sponsored by corporations. Exactly. So that's exactly. Yeah. And then what I would like to do is I'm glad you brought it up as I'd like to go because, you know, we have this huge oil find. Um, you know, recognized as one of the um, the uh, the largest oil finds in the world. I think the sixth largest oil find in the world. Yeah. Um, so we have. So you know, my plan now is to take this Swanson Acre and go go to the big um, the big uh, the big boys, the Exxon's and Chevron and Shell and so on, and says, "Here, why don't you guys 
buy a few thousand acres and sponsor it for a school in Guyana. Yeah. You know, that kind of thing. So you can do that. But, you know, I must add that we've been getting a lot of support. Um, our science program is um, has been paid for by Exxon. Yeah. And, uh, you know, they're making their contributions. And we've um, we've ring-fenced it to, to, uh, to science. Mm-hmm. So they've funded the development of our new five-year science plan in 2018. They've, and they've actually pitched in 2018, 19, and this year okay. uh, to help jump start it. So... We've had very good corporate partners as well as the international community. You know, the usual um, WWF, uh, UNDP, GIZ, um, everybody's been contributing. But, you know, there's a bit of donor fatigue now. Um, and quite frankly, Peter, the... Why, why do you think that is? Why do you think there's a donor fatigue? The, the priorities in the world have been changing. Mm. So think about it. The environment is nice, it's good, it's healthy. But then there's a huge problem with poverty. Yeah. There's a huge problem with terrorism. Yeah. Look at the, look at health issues now with this coronavirus, mm-hmm. right? Look at the natural disasters. And the irony of that is that actually the rainforest help capture some of the carbon, which causes global warming, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. So, but the priorities have changed. And I think not, not, uh, not wrongfully. Okay. Um, I remember, you know, 15 years ago, 18 years ago, you know, a big grant for your crown was two, three million euros or, or U.S. dollars. Yeah. Today, a big grant for us is half a million. Right. You know. That, that, that seems to have, uh, that seems to have diminished quite a bit indeed, yeah. Exactly. And, you know, many, many of the traditional donors now have actually decided, the multilaterals are still lending, yeah. but many of the traditional bilaterals have actually curtailed overseas spending and are spending it in country because as I mentioned, natural disasters, terrorism, poverty alleviation, climate change. Yeah. Um, these are all major priorities now that actually are going to allow funds to shift more in that favor. Right. Which again brings me to my point that you know we really, really have to wean ourselves, rainforest managers have to wean ourselves and become a little more creative in how we earn our core funding. And you're doing it absolutely in the right way, I must say. But I think it's very strange that in this time, when there's so much criticism on, on, on society to really save the rainforest, to do something about the environment, that corporations, big, big corporations, don't really you know, put a hand in their pockets and say, we're going to make a stand and we want to make sure that the rainforest of Guyana, one of the greenest countries in the world, when I understand, um, should be saved. And I understand that that's Ilkama is only 2% of Guyana rainforest. Is, that is correct, right? Yes, exactly. 2% of the Guyana rainforest. I think the forest cover in Guyana is about 18.4 million hectares. Wow. wow. And, and, the, the, what and that's 2% of the, of the forest. So imagine an oil producing nation still has 82% forest cover. Yeah. Obviously, this is the first year that actually oil is actually going to be, you know, uh, is going to be um, exported. And uh, yes, I'm sure that a lot of money will come in from that. Do you think that part of that money will be used for the preservation uh, of the rainforest? I do, I do believe that, you know. One of the good things with Iwakrama is that in our 30-year history, we have had support from all successive governments. Mm-hmm. All successive governments, Iwakrama has been a golden child for them. Yeah. They've been very supportive. The recent, um, prior to 2015, uh, they then um, uh, President Barra Jagdeo, who is known internationally, you know, for his um, work in the environment, mm-hmm. he came out. He came out to the low carbon development strategy. 
And then in more recent times, um, President Granger. Granger, David Granger, yeah. Yeah, who I must say is really, really committed to um, to maintaining a, a very, very strict balance with um, Guyana's rainforest and yeah. its new form resource. Um, he is just uh, commented, in fact, June last year, they completed the Green State Development Strategy. Mm-hmm. What is that? So that's, that's a strategy that builds on the low-carbon strategy. And essentially, it talks about even though you have this huge um, oil reserve, uh, it still talks about green development. So it talks about renewable energy, um, the pillars of renewable energy, about green development, about buildings that are designed to use uh, solar energy. You know, so despite the oil, everybody realizes that oil is a finite. And President Granger has actually insisted that, look, we will continue with our agriculture, we'll continue with conservation. Yes, there will be pressures on our rainforest for development. Yeah. And, and he's expecting Iwakrama to take the lead in developing these models. Mm-hmm. So that, yes, oil, you know, you could, you could bring your oil money, you could park it. I mean, Norway has an excellent... Um, model for a sovereign wealth fund. I think it's just touched like a trillion dollars. Okay. And the irony of that is I heard uh, some months ago, they divested that fund from any oil stocks. So what does that mean, if I may ask? So basically what you do, these investment funds, um, the sovereign wealth fund, you put your oil profits inside and then the fund managers invest those profits so they can grow. Mm-hmm. So, and you invest in all kinds of, you know, um, you balance your portfolio with, with minerals and, and technology and so on. Mm-hmm. Um, and I understood that they now have no fund and no money invested in the oil sectors in the world. So imagine, think about it, a country that actually built that fund, built that fund from oil, yep. that is not invested in oil anymore. And that's quite a remarkable achievement. That is remarkable indeed. But it all sounds very positive, though. It sounds like the government is totally behind Guyana being as sustainable as possible. A thousand percent. I mean, I could speak for President Guedjian when I say he's 1,000 percent committed to a green Guyana. Yeah. Um, and to make sure that, and you know, I mean, obviously he's aware as a president that there are pressures of development. But there's also a way of balancing it. You know, we still need infrastructure. We still need schools and hospitals yeah. um, and telecommunications and infrastructure like roads and bridges and these things. Um, but, you know, there's developing a, also a very strict mechanism for the managing these monies. In fact, I have no doubt that any successive government, yeah. um, you know, regardless of what happens, I think we have had very mature um, and sensible presidents and administrations that have recognized that uh, that oil is a finite resource and that the environment is not. If you take care of the environment, it'll mm-hmm. take care of you. Brilliant. So you, you think nothing will change on Monday? Oh, nothing at all. Nothing at all. I've been here for two, let's see, one, two, yeah, two, two, two governments, yeah. um, but both fully committed um, to, uh, to green development. Brilliant, brilliant. And do you think that the project that you're doing right there has already an effect on the other um, 80, sorry, 98% of rainforest in Guyana? Do you think that's... Um, uh, oh, other, sure. Yeah, yeah so you, I don't know if you remember some years ago, I think it was in 2008, that the government of Guyana mm-hmm. and the government of Norway uh, did a, um, an agreement. Uh, it essentially was a carbon agreement where the government of Norway agreed to pay Guyana $250 million um, over five years 
providing deforestation was kept at a very minimal rate. Yeah. And that in itself actually forced uh, government who was still practicing good practices to even increase um, the monitoring of our forests in terms to monitor deforestation. So Guyana has a very solid monitoring system for its forests, mm -hmm. um, for its carbon to look at how forests and government has actually over the last few years have become um, you might say draconian in in in, uh, in in take repossessing forests from from errant operators who haven't been uh, who haven't used it for the purposes or have parked it or whatever. Mm -hmm. So I mean, I'm convinced even with the um, with with oil and big money in the horizon, yep. um, and they're still employing a very very strict monitoring regime. Right. And if you have three large projects there, I understand, in your research, and one of the uh, projects is a program that's focused um, on, on what I read, is capacity building to support national initiatives in reducing deforestation and uh, degradation in Guyana. Um, now, in in Brazil, 50%, uh, from what I understand, of, of the rainforest uh, there um, is protected. Um, uh, on the federal law, um, so that means that fifty percent is totally, totally protected. What is the percentage in Guyana? Do you know? Or? In Guyana, yes, in Guyana, at the moment, I believe we're um, close to about seventeen percent. But let yeah. me just qualify that. So, about seventeen to twenty percent of Guyana are are regulated as protected areas. Okay, but. Um, if you if you look at the international, I think IUCN definition of rain uh, of protection, uh -huh. um, there are actually degrees of protection from being fully ring fenced to sustainable forest management and sustainable development. Uh -huh. um, so I would argue that the whole of Guyana, on all of Guyana's forests, um, government does not allow any clear felling except in the in the uh, occasion of mining. Yeah. Um, but it's very controlled, very well monitored, and very, very well policed. And you know, the thing is, these are figures, Peter. I mean, while you will be saying there's 50%, yeah. I'm sure there's major, there's major encroachment in uh, in those uh, in those areas. I'm sure, pretty sure, right. that there's major encroachment. But Guyana now, I mean, we have monitoring. We have rangers. The Forestry Commission is out there all the time checking. Uh, we use they use radar and technology to map stuff out and so on. So um, I would say that you know, and, and it goes back to the same thing where you know you could say this whole area is protected and and really in fact it's not, or you could use an entire country and say look we're going to pursue sustainable forestry management practices across the whole uh, forest cover. Mm -hmm. Okay, that, that, that sounds very good. I understand that you have as patron uh, as well His uh, Royal Highness uh, Prince of Wales, who has been around a number of times and um, um, has as uh, is a, he's a patron again since a couple of years ago. You yes. also had um, uh, 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 Prince uh, Prince Harry uh, combined yes, in uh, yes. 2016. So that you got quite a lot of people that are really behind the project uh, that you're doing there. Yes, right? so we had. Um Yes, Prince, um, last year, June, um, mm -hmm. Prince Charles, Highness Prince Charles, he renewed his patronage for an additional five years. All right. Um, yeah, so I think last year, November, um, I met his office because um, as patron, you know, we need to present the Wokrama's work and uh, to his office. Okay. And then in 2016, I think it was, or 17, Prince Harry visited us in December. Um, to, and he actually went to the program site 
Um, you know, we have the Commonwealth Secretary General behind us, and we just had the recently retired uh, African, Caribbean, and Pacific Secretary General, uh, Dr. Gomes, um, okay. formerly behind us. So, you know, we're um, you know we're getting a little recognition, and a lot of people at that level uh, have recognized the good work that we're doing. Fantastic. And now there's a lot of articles here. Um, the last question, really, a lot of articles here in the UK about uh, obviously about oil, um, about the rainforest uh, and about sustainability in Guyana. And they say, well, you don't really need a crystal ball to predict big changes in Guyana. From what I hear from you, you're very positive, though, about what's going to happen. Oh, so Peter, look, I mean, you know, as rainforest managers, you, you and I talk to several rainforest managers all over at these international meetings you go to. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, this development scares them. The reality of life will be that there will be change. The yeah. big challenge is that people don't manage change. Change manages people. So what we could do, we could sit in Guyana and we could say, look, there's oil out there and this will create, and that's where the, a lot of the furor is going and a lot of the, the rhetoric is going, that, you know, Guyana wouldn't be able to manage it and, you know, the Dutch disease and all of these things. Mm-hmm. The reality of the situation is that we need the oil. Yeah. It's a resource. Um, and, you know, an analogy to this is the road. So when we have a road that is uh, straight through the Wakrama Forest, and there's a big hue and cry, you know, you have a road in a protected area, blah, blah, blah. And so what we did is we did a very thorough road management and road corridor management plan. Mm-hmm. So if you plan for things, so yes, you're going to have oil. Here's the plan. Yes, you're putting a road through the forest. There'll be challenges with roadkill. There'll be challenges with um, with uh, viewing animals. There'll be social challenges. There'll be an increase in theft and security and all of these things. But these things, Peter, are going to happen. You know, <laughs> we can't sit here and, you know, we could sit here and we could say, well, you know, and then I, I suppose that Nigeria and Angola went through the same thing. And, you know, we could have the noblest of thoughts. And we could say that, yeah, well, we don't want the oil, let's cork it and leave it. But a road will, will go through a rainforest, right? And you could sit and you could not want it. Or, or yeah. you could plan for it so that it doesn't, affects you. And I'm not talking, you know, I don't believe it. there's sustainability in mining, for example. What mm-hmm. I believe in is low impact mining. I know there's sustainability in forestry because on a 60-year cycle, mm-hmm. uh, a 60-year cycle, you can in fact actually... How many years cycle? Sorry, I did not uh, hear that. 60, 60. Every six 60 years. Year, okay. yeah. yeah, every 60 years, the forest will rejuvenate itself. Once you remove the topsoil in mining, that becomes progressively different. But then it creates an opportunity for reforestation, mm-hmm. right? And it, it looks at creating, uh, you could start a plantation forest, which could drive a paper industry. So, you know, you got to look at the positive things. Um, and development will not wait. The, the big missing area is management. And people don't concentrate. Forest managers complain, but they don't spend enough time on managing change. Mm-hmm. I suppose that costs money as well, right? And sometimes you're just exactly. trying to do things at the cheapest uh, or the most economical way. Exactly. And if you have a supportive government, then you can actually have you can actually help to influence that change, mm-hmm. which you have. 
Exactly. Exactly. Brilliant. Brilliant. Now that, that 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 is all very positive, I must say, and I really appreciate the work that you do. And I think it's fantastic that you want to make the forest uh, self-sufficient uh, in financial terms um, without uh, the grants. I think it is a fantastic plan, and that I hope it works out a hundred percent, so that uh, that model can be taken over. Thank you very much, and you're very happy to share our story. Absolutely. Um, and as I said. You know, this is but practical. And you know, Peter, at the end of the day, you know, you need you need business people to manage projects. This yeah. is only a conservation uh, business. Mm -hmm. You know, there are commercial businesses, there are scientific businesses, there are pharmaceutical businesses, there are manufacturing businesses. And what we're running at Iwakrama is a conservation business, mm. and it's uh, it's working out so far, right? Yep, it is working. I mean, 30 years of history is a testament to some things that we are doing right. That's absolutely fantastic. That's absolutely fantastic. And they can find all the information at uh, iwokrama. Dot. Dot, yeah, www .org. Okay. Yeah, if you want a little bit more on tourism specifically, it's uh, com. That is also for the eco lodges, correct? Correct. That is brilliant. Thank you so much for being on the show. It was an absolute pleasure. I'm looking forward to you visiting us. Oh, I hope so too. I, I really would look uh, look forward to it. I was in Venezuela, and uh, I, I don't know. I, I loved I loved it, but um, I, I think that Guyana will be a lot better in terms of preserving uh, the environment. And uh, from 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 what you I hear from your government side as well, they're really committed to this. And uh, obviously, projects like 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 the one you're doing there in Ibokrama is absolutely fantastic. Definitely. And thank you again, Peter, for giving us this opportunity and for helping to showcase um, the work that we're doing here. Thank you. Have a great day. All the best. Bye. -bye. Bye. That was the podcast with Dane Gobbin uh, in Guyana. It was Great to have him on the show. I'll put the links uh, for his projects in the show notes. Latest news on the podcast you can find on the website podcasts.earth. Thank you for listening and please tune in next time to a travel companion. That is for the latest news in responsible and sustainable travel.